Welcome to the Formula Talk Podcast. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I want to start that again. Like, Whoa, rewind. Yeah, rewind. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Film Look Podcast, where we break down films, learn from the pros, and try to make become better filmmakers along the way. I'm Robert Carr. I'm joined by Richard Scott and also Christian K Dog Foreman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't quite ready to like start. I hadn't like spoke um, properly today, so um, that's that's how that happens. Um, K-Rock, I actually want to ask you, how's your bike coming along? Because uh, the listeners have been writing in, even though that episode hasn't aired yet. But I'm assuming people are really wondering <laughs> what's happening about your bike. Oh, um, it's not much at the moment. I've I've went through three tubes, and it's still not working. And so it's just sitting there, really pathetic, locked up in the uh, in the bike shed at the moment. Are you sure you don't just have like a big nail sticking through the tire? I keep ch- I've, I've watched so many YouTube videos of just guys saying, "Have you done this? Have you done that? Why don't you use water and all of this?" And I'm just like, uh, "I think I'm doing something wrong. Well, I've you, reached the, I reached the limits of my technical shoes, skills." I'm sure it must be the tire. Either that, or you must be absolutely riving at the inner tube when you're putting it in. Are you like proper forcing it? It might be when I fix it that I do these mad wheelies in the air. (laughs) 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 Straight away. I like make a I make a thing of doing mad wheelies like on some broken glass when I when I when I fix my tube. (laughs) That might be it. (laughs) Yeah. What you been up to, Rob? Um not a lot. I went. I've been writing some episode scripts for the film. I've actually kind of got motivated back into that because uh, obviously we're not making any. And I wrote some. I was just like bored of this now. But got back into that. I actually went down. What's your tactic for getting yourself motivated? Um, just sitting and doing it. Just, <laughs> just do it. Just not not using motivation as a tactic no, and just saying no, if no. I just sit down and start and just do it and hate it. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. Yeah. Get on like, with it. If I get to two hours and I've done a good solid two hours, I'm like, oh, that's good. Like, I've yeah. done loads and then after that, I'm fine. It's just like, because I've tried like motivation tactics, I've tried like doing certain things and timers and, and things like that. But you know what? Just just start writing. Just start doing it. You just got to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. If, if, it takes a co- if, if it takes three or four hours, at least you just get it done as well. It's just like, yeah, yeah. just just that. Um. So yeah, that. But I went down the studio today actually uh, for a couple hours, um, just because so, I had some products sent. So I took them down to turn up space, the clapperboards and stuff, and then yeah. uh, I d- I did a bit down there to be honest. And I forgot how comfy my office chair is, <laughs> yeah. but how bad my keyboard is, because uh, we haven't I haven't used it in ten weeks and it's awful. I hate it. I, I was just is, like, is maybe the sun's like melted? <laughs> it's just really not that good. But then I've been using one laptop screen, one thirteen inch laptop screen. And then I had two monitors, uh, which are like 15 inch. And I, f- I felt like I was in a cinema, <laughs> yeah. just like yeah. with, with word up. Um, so that that was nice because if people don't know, we haven't been into our studio for like 10, 12 weeks or whatever it is now. And that's a place we used to work from every day. But with lockdown, we haven't been able to, to get in. Um, things are starting to get a little bit better, but very, very slowly. This is what people don't realize. They're getting better, but slowly here. Um, but it was nice to be in there, and I just needed would need to do a clean of that studio because it's an absolute tip. Um, yeah. So It's not a tip. It's a set. It's an organized <laughs> mess. Um, yeah. But you go in and you just like, you know, if you just wanted to start work and you couldn't, you would have to spend a day just like 
sorting everything out. But uh, we'll get to that, and we will be in the studio at some point. And uh, Rich, you've been working from your home, haven't you? Uh, you've well, you've organised your your room. My my strategy is to put my shoes on. That seems to click in my brain. Like if I if I put some proper clothes on and put my shoes on, and then I've been going for like a ten minute drive in my car to keep my battery up. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll I'll come in and I'll like I feel like I'm through the threshold of work, and then like you say, like once you get the first five minutes started, you just keep going. Yeah, it's it's really weird, isn't it? Uh, you just just do it. All of those getting started. That's y- the hardest thing. Yeah. I've been doing loads of exercise as well, and like I cannot stand it. But what I've been doing is. I've got my laptop, so I'll put like some TV shows on or something, and I'll deliberately hate it as I go to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'll sulk as much as I can, <laughs> and I'll like get it up, like oh, I hate, oh, it's rubbish. This I hate this, but then as long as I still do it while hating it, mm-hmm. within five minutes, I'm I'm not hating it anymore. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just getting past with anything you do. It's getting past the first five minutes, and then once you get into it, it's fine. Because the problem is, it's easier to do nothing than something isn't it yeah <laughs> with anything whether exercise and working right and it's just like we uh we want to just stay in bed but we just have to yeah. fight that urge but yeah when you're out of bed you don't even think about bed right you just kind of get on with it yeah but it's, i the- told myself to do like one rep i'm like right if i can do one rep then i'll want to do another seven and then if i do one set i'm already there warmed up i'll do another four so i just like i've got a I need to do one one rep and then I'm okay. Nice. <laughs> my knees will crack. <laughs> finally get all the gases out of my knees and then it's like, oh, okay, now I'm finally here. Ready. Um, well, what isn't difficult to do, which I don't find difficult to do, is uh, watching films. And this is a perfect segue into... Uh, Starting <laughs> them is difficult sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, whoa. <laughs> like, you know, like we were like, we, we most of the time we do this on a Monday, but then mm-hmm. we, we chose a Wednesday and then eventually we chose a Thursday. And... I was ready to watch it on Sunday. Was it Sunday night when you meant when you was like, "Oh, we should watch X Machina." I was like, "Right, yeah, I'll watch this on Sunday." I watched it today. <laughs> I was just like, "What's the point? I'll just watch it yeah. today. I'll watch it like the last possible moment." <laughs> I think I watched it. I was going to watch it Sunday, but I ended up watching it last night as well. So yeah. even though I've seen it anyway, let's talk about X Machina. So this week's film is X Machina. And we're not going to do some what the facts. Oh, what's a fact? <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go. All right, fact, sorry, right. sorry. We're gonna do. Um, I was jumping ahead there. Um, <laughs> K Dog, have you got a fact, a fact ready? Um, I did, and I don't need. You know, I can make something up. Yeah, I've got a fact. <laughs> go on then. <laughs> <laughs> go on then. Let's hear this. Well, well I've been learning. Fact. I, my fact is fresh in my head because um um I've been learning the La La Land piece on the piano the past few, like during lockdown. Mm-hmm. And my fact is... Put you is, on the spot, go on. What? I'm going to put you on the spot, go on. It's right there. <laughs> it's right here yeah, behind me. Um, my fact is that Ryan Gosling learned to play piano for um, La La Land. So the, that kind of main motif, the Mia and Sebastian theme, um, that is, runs throughout the, the film. He spent three months nonstop learning it. And it's honestly, if, if you know anything about music, it's so complex and it's so impressive that he could do that. That it's quite inspiring. And it's like, oh, if someone who doesn't even know how to play the piano can learn that in three months, then... Does he know just how to play that song then? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, he just he's just learned which notes to hit he's, at a he's, certain point. He's learned the notes and he's just hammered it, like, into his memory for three months. 
And I assume he had, obviously, he had a, probably had an amazing piano teacher that none of us mm-hmm. could afford, and he, he worked with him every day to do it. But it's yeah. still, I still like that he started from nothing. Because I think originally they were going to get a, a double to play it, but then mm-hmm. he, he learned it so well that um, uh, they yeah, used him at the gonna end. Yeah, he was going to learn it, wasn't he? And then, <clears throat> so he's at least playing around the keyboard in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But then the fact that he could actually play it, they were like, Cause, oh, well, we don't need a piano stunt double. And yeah. if, you watch, if you watch the scene... Um, it's quite a powerful scene. It's just all one shot, so it's like a three-minute piece, and the camera just moves around him as he's playing, and it, it does it does add something to that scene, I think, than like showing the first you know few bars with hands close up and cuts to his face and he's still playing, you know. Um, yeah. And I so yeah, that's my fact that he yeah, learned I mean, to play the piano. I think it's really good as well because for a musical, they probably should to learn to do that because uh, it's a musical. Like show show everything, you know, like. Um, Fred Astaire and, and people like that who used to dance and play play music and they used to do everything and you used to see it all. I mean, they, they also, th- those types of films also had long takes back in the day, so... Um, yeah, it's good when you see them doing all the dancing and the singing and stuff, yeah, instead of, like, showing it and then a close-up to the feet and it's clearly a different person. Yeah. Um, like they, what do they call it? The Texas swap? Yeah. <laughs> where they'll do backflips and then they'll go behind <laughs> behind a door and then they'll pop up or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Um, Rich, what is your fact? Right, so have we all watched Breaking Bad before? Yep, who hasn't? Yep. Have Have you ever wondered why it's called Breaking Bad? Because uh, it's I, I've never thought about right, it, but is me, it like breaking, me, breaking even, but instead let me, of... Let me tell you why. <laughs> right. So, you know, obviously we've got Walter White is the main guy, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously his accomplice is Jesse, and Walter is married to Skylar and they have a son what's the son called Walt Jr Walt Jr and throughout the third or the fourth season or maybe the second season um obviously what what is it that Walt suffers from cerebral palsy yes i think so Walt Jr yeah yeah so he has difficulty driving at the beginning of the film of the series and he's trying to teach him how to do it and this is when Heisenberg is getting quite you know he's he's getting angry the drug lord is coming out at him um, and he can't use his feet properly because of his cerebral palsy. And he's trying to teach him to use both, to use one foot for the acceleration and the brake. Mm-hmm. But instead, he uses one foot for the brake and one foot for the acceleration. Because it's an automatic, so, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he's braking bad. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the thing is, I was listening to that and I was like, this is, go- this is definitely going somewhere, but I don't know where. Um, um, Rich, you win this week, I think. Um, yes! I-, I really like the Ryan Gosling one. I think it uh, really fits the piece of that film and I think it's- he's really talented. But um, yeah, it's amazing how Vince Gilligan thought that far ahead into the season and went yeah. and put that little scene in. Well, without Walt Jr., there wouldn't be this this middle ground between his conflict of being Heisenberg and his conflict of being a husband and a hmm. and a father. So it makes sense that Vince Gilligan was like, "Well, we need to name it something based on the sun because he is the neutral center of the whole universe." I mean, he uh, doesn't break good. No. <laughs> cool. Right. Uh, that's a cool breaking bad fact. Okay, dog, you will get one of these one day. Um, I doubt it. But today is not the your day. Um, so yeah, this week's film, even though I've already said it, is uh, let's talk about X Magna. 
Ex Magina is a 2014 film directed by Alex Garland and is it about it's about a young programmer who is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment by his boss and he actually goes to his house which is like in the middle of nowhere um, he's there to help evaluate the human qualities of a high advanced uh, hi highly advanced humanoid AI but it's not all, not all as it seems dum 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 so um, I've seen this before and and the reason I wanted to pick it is because I think last week's film, um, what was last week's film? Um, uh, the Great Escape. Yeah, The Great Escape. It had like a million people in that. Um, and I haven't watched uh, Ex Machina for, for a while, but they've got it's got like three, four cast members in this. Um, so I was like, let's do something which has got, so I don't have to remember everyone's names. Um, so, Rich, you've seen this before, haven't you? I bet we still don't remember their names. Yeah, we probably won't. Um, we never do. But, um, Rich, uh, you've seen this before, haven't you? Yeah, I think I've seen this once before. And um, it's just wicked. There's... I, re I really enjoyed it the first time seeing it, and I think watching it this morning and having like a critical head on it, I was I was looking for some things to complain about, and we might be able to discuss through some some possible negatives, but it's just it's so clever, and it's so like there's just a lot of imagery going on and a lot of themes, and like it's very like Shakespearean mm -hmm. in a way. And I'm watching it, I'm like, man, this is so good. It's good in like every single area. So I hope I can come up with some negatives for today. But um I it's wicked. Well, the best thing about it is when you talk to other people about this and they're like, oh yeah, that film, X Machida. <laughs> Everyone has their own way of pronouncing this film. Yeah. It's definitely X Machina though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's based on the the Latin Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, it's it's interesting that you said uh, Shakespearean because a lot of people say this is um, uh, a modern take on The Tempest, which was Shakespeare, William Shakespeare's last last play or whatever it was. I'm, I'm not. Did he get stabbed by his AI robot? Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I've not. I don't know much about that. So if you do, uh, Kidog, you should. You should know a little bit about William. I never did. I never did The Tempest. I did, did the other ones, but uh, not The Tempest. Yeah. So, what did you think about uh, Ex Machina? Have you seen it before? Yeah, I've seen this before. I agree. It's just a, it's just a really, really, really good film, isn't it? I kept watching when I was watching this. I was just like, this is a, this is a sexy film, not mm. in a sort of like, oh, I'm sexually attracted to the robot, which you know we'll talk about later. But I mean, like everything, <laughs> everything about it, the shots, the dialogue, the feel of it. It's just like, oh, this is really sexy. Like this is just nice to watch and be engaged with. And I like the fact that it's a like a grown-up sci-fi like it treats the audience with respect and um not a lot of sci-fi does that um you know it's kind of reminiscent of things like blade runner uh, that sort of tone where yeah you just engage throughout and it's not really not really spoon-fed and i liked i like the small cast all of the all of them did brilliantly brilliantly um my allegiances kind of switched between them throughout the whole film i don't know who side i was on mm -hmm. um yeah just wicked like you said great, great film yeah, it's it's. Uh, I looked at like some of the facts of this film, and um, you know, it is quite a. Obviously, it's a small crew. One, well, they filmed in two locations, which we'll get onto. But it only had a fifteen million pound budget, and if you look at the cast, like the casts, like there's an Oscar winner in there, and then there's two guys from Star Wars. No, he's called you know? Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> Did you write that down? No, no. The, she, she's actually won an Oscar though, so there's two Oscars. Um, right. You know, and it's like, it's amazing what you can do with so little. And what I really liked about this film is how like subtle it is. And it's like less is more is 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 always like I really want to read the script to this film because when you're writing a script, the the least amount of dialogue you can have, the better. And obviously there is exposition throughout this in certain moments, but that's mainly told to a character who doesn't know what's going on. And um, and let's get some of these names. What's he called? Um, the ginger guy. So he's called uh, Domino Gleason, and his character is uh, Caleb. 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 Um, don't actually. He's a he's another thing. Don't watch. Um, about time and then this back to back because um that really messed us up a little bit like because um it looks exactly the same he's got the same haircut and about time is like class don't know gleason like during this period i can't remember when did this come out did you say uh 2014 2014, 2015, Donald Gleeson just like churned out films and like he not just shit at the time, wasn't he? Not just like he's on cra- crappy films, but everything that was yeah. just sm- like a blockbuster smash hit. Like he was just in and he killed it in every single piece, every single one. I mean, if you look great actor, if you look at Oscar Isaac as well, he's in every single thing you watch. Like he, he's he's just there. Like he's in so many films and around this time, like I think he was just coming up at this time as well. And then for the next couple of years, you just see him in every single thing it made me realize re-watching this just oscar is probably one of my favorite actors at the moment yeah, like he's yeah. just re- everything he's in i, I love yeah. and i love him in it the fact that he can go from something like this where there's a lot of character driven performance and like some real oscar worthy performances and then he can play the cool han solo type character like he he knows he's playing for a certain demographic mm-hmm. and like you would think that, oh, maybe he was quite cheesy in Star Wars, but I think that he played the role in Star Wars exactly like it should have been. It's yeah. like this not super complex, just hero guy. Like in Star Wars, they're, all, they're essentially just like toys, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Moving around and you've got little bios and stuff. And then in this, it's like it's very twitchy. Have you seen um, Inside Lewin Davis as well? It came out around about the same time. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Corn Brothers. that. Oh, that is such a, a really brilliant film. And him in particular great great performance because he sings all the songs as well yeah. and he's just a really talented musician yeah mm-hmm. i've got i really really love oscar isaac yeah both both of these and um and then we've got eva as uh which is such a it's such a subtle character in certain moments and it you kind of like christian says you, you kind of like dominic gleason you, you really fall for her as a AI yeah, and then, like, then a person. Towards the second, you know, interaction they have, Ava session two or whatever, I'm like, yeah, just let her, just let her go. She's like, I'm on her side. Give her whatever she wants. <laughs> like yeah. she she seduced me as an audience like member. <laughs> Oscar uh, Isaac must have been looking at uh, your search history a little bit then. <laughs> um, which is a nice little joke from the film. Right. Um, let's go to, to character development and, and story. So obviously we've got the opening of this, which, Basically, he wins the Caleb wins a competition and he's helicoptered off to his boss's house. So we kind of get a sense that he works for a big like organization. Um, you know, everyone's like like congratulating him. He's getting flown to like this place in the middle of nowhere. And one of the best pieces of dialogue to probably understand how rich this guy is is uh, when when the first line in the film. Yeah, it's like when when will will. When will or we're flying over like his estate or how his long estate. how long was it going to be? He says we're being flying over for two hours, and this is like all right, fair enough. We know how rich this guy is, and then we find out that 
um, Oscar Isaac's character is like a Google billionaire um, throughout the film. And that's all you really need. No, because I think everyone goes, all right, I understand that. Yeah. It's so simple, that first scene, how it's like a a center shot of him on the computer and then we get a couple of inserts and people coming over and touching his shoulder and hugging him and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, there we go. And it's like, it's completely silent. It's just music. And then we, we get those first lines of dialogue like oh we've been flying over for two hours it's like we don't have to go by the way we're in the future and this guy yeah he's got lots of money <laughs> like so, there's nothing like that there's no like over spilling the exposition you kind of so, just like discovering these things as caleb does i think this has got to be one of the best first minutes of the film that i think we've watched on this podcast in terms of setting up the plot because I, I timed it in 40 42 seconds with no dialogue we get the entire setup of the plot mm-hmm. um in such a, it almost feels like a short film doesn't yeah. it how you, you manage to get all of that you get the with, the, with no dialogue and, in, in like a stylish way 40 was it 40 seconds 42 seconds yeah they don't waste any time no which is probably a good thing because there's, there's a lot of time spent breathing in this and not in a negative way but like we need some breathing room in this film and it's it's good that they're not just going to make everything super lengthy and drawn out and over the top <clears throat> 2001 um but <laughs> they, they get to the bit where we're gonna we're gonna cut 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 all of the crap out and we're gonna breathe on the bits that make sense because got, this is this is film's been quite heavily influenced by 2001 i would say yeah i think it has um because like we just don't need to like find out about the the like the boss character or and this guy works at like a google type and like he's we see him go to work and he's lonely and you know he lives in a small apartment we get to hear all that and that's all we need from this film i've got some quite interesting points about this so i did some research on this and it deviates from the screenplay quite significantly so i've got the script in front of me um and uh those two lines that we see in the film the what is it two hours we've been flying over these steps two hours yeah that in the script that i'm looking at now is three pages of dialogue oh, that right. we've cut down so in the dialogue let me just get it up it's full of exposition so it's like what's your name caleb yeah I'm gonna, you caleb? I'm gonna read it out I yeah, yeah. blue book <laughs> so cool. how so he's in the in the script he was falling asleep he wakes up and he goes how long was i out and then the pilot says, oh, he fell asleep as soon as we left the airport. And then he says, he's like trying, it's like a getting to know him. He's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm a programmer. And he goes, oh, I've been, I've won this competition. I'm going to stay with my CEO for a week. Um, and he's like, oh, wow. Like the pilot's like, how do you get to do that? He's like, even the president can't get him on the phone. So he's all this like really heavy handed. <laughs> oh, that's really bad. Nah. That's so bad. You know, when we were <laughs> talking about earlier about the first five minutes and it's like hard to get into something, but after five minutes it's fine. I think I would have given up after that five minutes. Yeah, so it's like in this in this dialogue what? I'm reading now, you, you find out you find out that both thing. of them are programmers. He's won a competition, he's there for a week, he's a really powerful, he lives in the middle of nowhere. Um he even says, um where's the he says something about um, we haven't seen anyone for for hours or something. Oh, there, no one else is around for a hundred miles. Uh-huh. I'm like, you know, we get that. You don't have to say that. We can see that. Yeah, we can see that. But yeah, but it's it's so they filmed all that as well, and it's just in the edit that they cut it all out. So I think that's a, I don't know, a lesson on how you can. What do they say? The edits like the last 
edit of the yeah, the final know, rewrite of the script or whatever yeah it, def- it definitely is you know you edit your film three times obviously when you write it when you film it and then when you edit it but um that that those lines of dialogue might have been done so uh for financial reason because obviously he's got to finance this film it was only 15 million but he would have still had to finance it in some way and I imagine like the finances would have read the script and went nah this doesn't make any sense we need to put some uh, safety nets into this at the beginning <laughs> so people like get the point of the film at the beginning but then when he's went into the edit he's just went nah I'm cutting all well, that like, out producer proof it yeah uh, we find out where he is isn't obvious. it there's Alaska here as well Incredible oh, really? here in Alaska, most people place on earth. And then the, the last lines of the dialogue is how long until we get to this estate? And then he says, we've been flying over his estate for the past two hours. Yeah. And we, even then with the two lines, we get all the information we really need, right? We we get that he's, I don't know. So, well, the guy's super successful. Like he lives in the middle of nowhere. He's clearly got a, a boatload of money. Um, he's traveling to meet someone because he just found out that he won a competition based yeah. on the screenshot yeah. so you get all of that and we do kind of need all that other information about him being a programmer and him being a CEO and and all of that but we don't need to know it right now do we mm-hmm. in the first minute yeah. we kind of get that fed to us throughout throughout the film yeah because um, it would have been repeated information just like oh, oh we know that we know he lives alone we know we know all of that so it just cuts all of that out and then he just walks into the building when but he gets as there. An, as an audience member, it makes us more engaged and focused, right? Because if you told us that, we were like, oh, we, the fact that we, they didn't explicitly tell us that makes us more um, engaged in the next scene when mm-hmm. he meets him. He's like, oh, what's that, what's happening here? Who's, yeah. who's that guy? Well, you know what I mean? And then we're listening more. As, as this film like progresses like uh, three quarters of the way through and, um, you know, we are going to spoil this, but when he, he starts to, th- well, when he goes into the bathroom and he's like, he cuts his arm to see if he's, a, he's actually an AI, which if you watch the film and I obviously seen this, sec- this is the second time, third time. And I was just like, there's certain bits where he just like, he could actually have been the AI, the way he sits and the way he talks, he's, um, he's quite calm. Um, and then when he, when he c- kind of cuts himself, like, Cutting all that out at the beginning helps the fact that he is thinking that he's an AI as well. You know, I see where the point of like he wakes up on the helicopter because that could have been if he was an AI, that would have been the start of his program booting up, and all of his memories were there of like real life. Um, there's there's another example in the script where they deviated in the edit itself, which is when Ava asks him about two thirds of through the film, um, "Do you want to be with me?" Do you know that when she was asking him questions? Mm-hmm. in the script we see his answer like in the film it kind of cuts there she says do you want to be with me and then it cuts and then you get all these nice shots of the mountains and we're kind of left wondering what he said and what his answer was whereas in the script he answers her he goes yes I do and I'm going to get you out of here so he kind of again gives us that exposition before like a couple of scenes before we find out about it in the film mm-hmm. um, so it, it's it's quite an interesting if you're into scripts and, and how they're adapted and how they change over time it's probably inter- it's an interesting um, read I think yeah. to look to look into this this film that would have been a very interesting edit edit to sit in on and just like watch and just score right we're going to chop the scene because it sounds like they're really they're, they chopped a lot out of this which has worked as we call yeah. it uh, what do we call it which is skinhead cut a skinhead cut aye. yeah a short, we do a we do a long cut and then a and then a trim and then a short back inside and then a skinhead <laughs> yeah and you can play the skinhead back and see what what you've what like you've missed out of it like cut cut it to the point where you're being completely ruthless 
and then and then watch it back and see what works and what you need to put back in. Yeah. And then you can really think about, oh, okay, so we are missing these vital moments. Let's stick a couple of them back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people say like, oh, you need to trim trim the fat. It's kind of like you need to you need to trim it all and then put some put some back in if you can. Yeah. But it's interesting because, like you say, this isn't a this is it's some scenes it's quite a slow film but it's slow and but another scenes it's quite fast it kind of skips over a lot of exposition but it, it just works in its favor i think it's, it yeah. gives a, a lot of it would have been a three-hour film wouldn't it if we had those slow moments where really it's kind of like breathing room for the audience isn't it uh so the the audience can really ponder for a few minutes about who who the siding with because if if it was just super mega fast paced mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't never have a moment to decide, oh, okay, I'm on Caleb's side at this point. Mm. Oh, no. Oh, well, he's done something wrong here. Oh, well, is, is he an AI? Yeah. Like, is, is she self-conscious? Like, self-conscious. <laughs> She's embarrassed about the way she looks. <laughs> um, I think... I think don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I think if this... I haven't got any skin on. <laughs> I think if this was set in, like, a city, we would have had a fast-paced film. So it would have been running around the city, like, seeing things. There would have been um, a New York taxi cab driving past. He would have gotten knocked over at one point yeah, and all that. Yeah, but yeah. because it's set in this, you know, there's nothing around. It's quite calm. It's just nature. Um, it's They've made the edit quite tranquil in places yeah. where they need it. Which which really works and it, it really sets its tone of because uh, this is it's classed as an indie film. Um, when I was reading some of the comments and so fifteen million pound, it's an indie indie film, indie budget. It wasn't like a big studio behind this. If this was a Hollywood studio production, everything in that script will be in this final film because yeah. they think the audiences are dumb and they need to know that and audiences are not. The- <laughs> and uh, Dwayne Johnson would be the pilot of the helicopter and he would have came and saved Caleb at the end. Uh, yeah, it I'm going to get him out of here! It would have been daft, but with I think with the whole cast... Um, the both the, or everyone just bounces off off each other. Um, well, let's talk about a little bit about their development. So Caleb is, uh, we find out that you know he's been it, he didn't win the competition. He was selected because of his search search history results, and he was the best candidate to um, to talk to Ava and uh, essentially be attracted to her. So she would try and attempt to escape, which obviously she end up does. Um, and then, but I, I kind of like his development because he's so in awe of of Nathan at the beginning of this, and then he slowly just picks apart of like what's actually going on. But I don't think Nathan's character really helps with that because he's a bit of a dick. He is. Yeah. This. Uh, yeah. Nathan's character. It's. It's just when you're first introduced to him, there's just something off about him, isn't there? You're constantly questioning who, what is this guy's deal? Like, is he, is he evil? Is he going to kill this guy? Is he just a bit, you know, a bit of a recluse and an eccentric billionaire? Like, um, like it's hard to, to pin down what this character's deal is. Um, In terms of his alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like at the, I remember the first time I watched this, I'm like, is, I honestly thought he was going to kill him. I thought it was more, more, um, more weird than he was like a vacancy sort of film where it's like i'm I trapped you here that's yeah crazy. i thought it was gonna t- i thought that's where the film was gonna go where re-watching it i'm like oh no he's just a bit of an eccentric like he's just it's a just bit like an auteur sort of yeah it's someone who is like the massive ceo of was it blue book yeah it's just the equivalent of google isn't it he, he um would, i mean essentially he's the mark zuckerberg of this hmm. of this film isn't he and i think he plays that line quite well yeah, like he's not—he's not really a good guy, but he's certainly not like an evil bad dude. Mm-hmm. No, 
there's, def there's definitely moments in this kind of rewatch of the film where I did feel for him and I thought, oh no, maybe I'm on your side here, like your side, um, which I don't think I had the first time. I don't think any any of these people are bad, really. They've just got their own motives and they kind of clash with each other's, don't they? And because they've, they've like, we've got Caleb thinking that he's this clever guy who's won this prize uh, and his boss, who he looks up to, starts to realise his boss is a bit of a dickhead and then sees that he's actually getting played. So it's kind of like everyone's doing the, their own little selfish uh, plan. Yeah, like there, there isn't really an evil guy, but it's kind of like everyone's mm. against each other yeah. in this in this pressure pot, in this lovely vista. <laughs> I would even I would even say, I wouldn't say there's even a protagonist in this. I think they're, they've all got their own stories that they're telling, um, and they share. I would say Ava, if anything, is probably the main character in this. Mm. Yeah, um, I think I think with Nathan's character as well, I like how he just. He slowly gives Caleb just a little bit more information. He's like, come with me, I'm going to show you this. And then he shows him something else. And then it's a bit of a, like a detective discovery for Caleb throughout the film and like learning more and more about it. But uh, I think Oscar Isaac's character, obviously he's the, he's the puppeteer in all of this, uh, which he plays super well. So, and the fact that they give him problems throughout the film. So like, you know, he's a heavy drinker, mm -hmm. which is obviously foreshadowing to Caleb's plan which they then twist upon itself because then it's like, oh, he's not drinking? Oh, because he's been watching him with a camera? Oh, but then we've got another twist on top of that. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I did it yesterday. Yeah. And then it's like, but that is all the downfall of the whole film. So the uh, the last half hour of this film really gets the ball rolling. And it's like, oh, no, he's all, what he's done. These are all idiots. Like this, yeah. but the, he has succeeded because the AI is self-aware and she she's manipulated everyone. To get what she wants. Yeah, 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 and it's it's cool that she's managed to manipulate Nathan as well. Mm -hmm. You know, he thinks he's big boss man, and he can control her, and he's gonna try and you know, he says he's the puppeteer, but his puppeteering has caused this other guy that he's essentially betrayed to um mess everything up. I'll tell you one thing though, right? There's one, there's one bit of a plot hole in this, and it's huh. it's to do with the science fiction of this of this film. Uh, so you know, you know when we did the Great Escape mm -hmm. last week, yep. and we talked about how in order for that film to work, I know like it was real life, but I'm sure there's some creative license at some point. They were like, gardening is the most important thing <laughs> British and American soldiers could ever have. So it's like, well, now we've got tools, and we can use these tools to to, to you know escape greatly. Um. I thought it was a bit strange that we've got like this ultra super mega sci-fi world in the middle of nowhere and they still use physical key cards to beep in. Yeah. Like what? I mean, in the 1990s, we had retinal scanners in Mission Impossible. Yeah, we did. And this is supposedly like we. I, what I do like is we don't have a, you know, the year doesn't come up. It's not like 2045. Yep. It's kind of like near future and it'll always feel like the near future and i like the design of like the it's almost like a tin type uh yeah key card that you know we like, get to photograph taken with a flash and then it comes out and that's a nice visual representation because then we see it on like the little you know the pedestal on mm -hmm. his computer and stuff but we wouldn't have that would we no. i mean the, the fact that that's a massive plot oh i forgot me key card 
you wouldn't have a key card. There would be something, a chip embedded into you, or there would be a retinal scanner or, or, a, or a thumbprint. But we need that. We need the physical key card because we need it's a plot. for him yeah. to be able to steal something and not chop the other guy's thumb off or his, <laughs> chop his, get his eye out or something. Yeah. And then we also need Ava to steal the key card so Caleb gets locked in, which is our final moment of, oh, look, the roles are reversed and now you're going to be locked in this cage. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a few plot things like that which I picked up as well. Like, I think the biggest one for me was the, the power uh, going down, the power failure. Um, we knew straight away that that was Ava doing that. Yeah. And there was like a big reveal, like <laughs> the fifth time I did it. I'm like, no, yeah, we, we knew I, that. I've been doing yeah. it this whole time. So, well, yeah. Uh, who else is doing it? <laughs> it's not these two, is it? Although saying that, uh, watching it again this second time, I, I forgot quite a lot of the plot and like, I knew there was twists and turns in this. And I was thinking that the whole thing of it going red and stuff was Nathan's deliberate um plan like because it you know he's he's obviously tricking this guy to come and be this oh you're gonna you're, you're clever enough to ask the right questions but really he was the test yeah and i was thinking oh well maybe this is part of the test and then it reveals that it was just ava and like as as much as this is like super clean cut and we get the lovely scandinavian like yeah. lakeside house mm-hmm. mansion thing we get i reversed it polarizing protocols to do this that and it's like oh yeah. at no point did we need sci-fi well, coding programming jargon we, like we not we didn't get any of that with anything else and that feels like the only bit which is like forced in a way yeah it's good that they only did that once and we only see um someone code once like yeah <laughs> because yeah. when he was because if this if this was the like, 90s gonna the main yeah <laughs> if, yeah if this was the 90s half the film would have been like green like typing um on yeah. a computer I, I didn't also i didn't i didn't like his reasoning behind oh i i've had to so when there's a power failure i've made it so all the doors lock and we can't get in or out i'm like is that the best thing surely is that what about if you like well, outside and this happened you won't be able to get back in your own house or what about if you're like surely you could just have all the outside doors that lock and you know the ones inside you could be able to get out of your bedroom and i'm like well, i think it was because he he understands ava as a dangerous character so yeah. maybe he had to do that mm-hmm. yeah he's like he's like dealing with the beast essentially also so he would like, have a backup generator wouldn't he like, well he does well yeah that's, a, <laughs> that's the other <laughs> thing like this is the the one like weak link in this chain and it's the it's the one thing that's sort of like but you need it pulling need the door it the open for them to get in yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise if it was bullet if the whole film was bulletproof that none of this would have happened yeah. there needed to be something yeah. weak which is um it is a a kind of a cliche in like sci-fi films like this where you know the power goes down and all of the doors open and he mentions that but obviously in this, it's the other way around. And I think we've probably seen that as well. You know, it's like if the power goes down, all the doors lock. And it's just like, okay, there's that. I suppose it's just a way of, you have to have these things for your plot he's, to go. He's this, he's this tech genius. He could just have yeah. the doors in Ava's lab, like not open. Like yeah. he could he could wire it that way. You just don't. Do you think they could have softened that blow a little bit by maybe mentioning like the film like Alien or something? So yeah. obviously we, we don't, we don't understand from nathan's point of view that she's the, the monster and she's super dangerous yeah. we obviously get that through see i uh, conversations I, later on so if nathan was like i i need i need the doors to lock and not open because 
I've got this caged this caged animal, and if she gets out, we're all gonna get yeah. buggered. Yeah. See, on this on this rewatch, I remember thinking, oh yeah, this yeah, there is this dangerous um, robot. On this one, I I really felt for her. Like I thought she all her motives were correct. She wanted to get out. She didn't want to harm anyone. She just wanted to get out. Um, and she manipulated people to do that because that's all she could do. She just wanted um, to survive. I don't think I don't think she's as good or as bad as the other two in the film. No, I, I don't think she's a monster. From Nathan's point of view, she's obviously like super dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that would be the reason why he locked the doors. Well, y- do we need do we need all the big red lights? Yeah, we did. Yeah, it looks cool it looks as cool. hell. I mean, <laughs> um, what I would have done is um, I just wouldn't have had doors. I would have just sealed her in because if you're going to build a robot, just sail her in. And then when you need to build a new one, just knock the wall down and build a boat. How are you going to get her wall. in? Get build her out? a great escape and uh, get a pickaxe. Yeah, just just like... Knock the concrete through. Just just go to her like a, a bricklaying class and then you, you sort of like, oh yeah. That reminds me of that joke. I don't know why that reminded me of the joke. Um, in America, they have this like convenience store called 24-7. Uh and the joke was like, why Why is there locks on the door of a 24-7 shop? <laughs> I don't know why, because it's always open. Is it, have, you got, <laughs> have you got a tumbleweed uh, sound effects we could stick in there? Well, like, the other similar joke is like, if, if you know, the Pringles <laughs> slogan. Have you told the joke yet? I've got another one. If you know the Pringles slogan, once you pop, you can't stop. Yep. Yeah. Why is there a lid? Hey, you got a fair point. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's a good point, because the, you've obviously got the foil paper tab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen the Pringles where the um, it's got a, a a mechanism so the Pringles keep going it's like up? Like spring loaded, yeah, yeah. like a magazine in a gun. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, because like no one can fit their hand in a Pringles can. It's or just... like a like a toothpaste tube plunger. Yeah, yeah. like so, a syringe. Yeah. That's is it like a syringe? Do you like push it up? I th- I don't know. I think it's just like a. But then um... you'd have the same problem from that way because you won't be able to get your hand in there to push it up. So uh, well, all the Pringles may- in the middle. Maybe they could provide you with a large dowel. Yeah, <laughs> just on the side. <laughs> like a plunger. I mean, you could just... <laughs> on, the, on the side, yeah, clip it on. All I did when it got to the bottom few was just, like, drank them. <laughs> See, that's what, that's, yeah. that's what Nathan should be investing his billions in. Yeah. <laughs> the real yeah. world problems. Um, really, what they should have done was have a latch on the side and open it up like a chest. Yeah. Rather True. than top loading. Yeah. Why is it not opening like a trunk? Or oh, like a barrel, like a side on barrel. Uh, they might or just make, f- make the case bigger. That's true. I mean it it all it adds expenses, doesn't it? But so does a lid. I mean the <laughs> really ex- motto is the re- once you pop you can't stop. Then like you say, it's that lid goes against goes against their slogan. Their motto. Pringles are way too expensive anyway, so um Speaking of Pringles actually, we didn't get much um or even any product placement in this film, other than the whole blue book phone, which they I had, thought was quite. Did good. he not have beers? What what beers was he drinking? Oh, I don't know, mate. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, like Corona oh, or Peroni like oh, you'd see Budweiser. in uh, Fast and Furious. Yeah. yeah, that vodka might have been like a particular type of vodka, which is like meant to be really nice, but I didn't recognise the label. Like so a super, yeah, if you don't recognise the label, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> must be. Um, Should we? Um, well, get a little bit on a direction. Well, I just just then. want to talk about the very end of this and what you thought okay. of it. So obviously, um, uh, uh, Nathan dies. He, um, he gets killed by um, what's that other robot called? Kyoto, the uh, sexy, the sex robot. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, Caleb gets locked in, and we don't really know what happens to him in the end, which I quite like. It's quite quite open, but um, obviously she gets away, and then we just see like a one shot of her like standing, and it's clearly the the the. Traffic. The traffic, yeah, and then does someone come across the screen, and then she's gone she, again. Jason Bourne's out of there. Yeah, um, <laughs> which like I quite liked. I like that she got out, and that's all we're seeing. So we're it was pretty much it was less. We didn't need to see her walking around. Kind of like the very beginning of this film when we see the the actual world. We don't see too much of it. We get that one two shots, and then at the end we get one and two shots um, of like her in the real world, and we're just like. Right, we know what she's going to do. She's just going to live in watch some people like and a watch people. Robot. Yeah, um, and I, I, I kind of just liked the the ending of that. Um, that she got aware and that we didn't know anything about um, what Caleb did, but he died, really, didn't he? It's alluded. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that he must have died. It was, it's a. Allu- I think they lead you to believe that he died, but surely the guy Nathan was getting like deliveries of food and beer. Like who's gonna? <laughs> Someone yeah, has to come to the house. We don't. We point. don't. Yeah, we don't ever get told any information like that. Um, so how has he? How has he got all that food in the middle of nowhere? Well, well, he's 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 built a massive like mansion thing, so he's certainly capable of getting all that. I, it's literally I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it there. Yeah. Like, but we we don't need to see the daily life of Nathan though, because we've only got a week with him. Yeah. So he could he could. You know, have monthly care package airdrops or something. Mm-hmm. That'll be extended scene. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. see a scene of him <laughs> just waiting. He, he's just asked, yeah, he's just asked Caleb to come That's that week to like. To, uh, he's asked Caleb to come that week just to give him a hand to bring his food give in. Hand <laughs> the shop in <laughs> so, but no, so, he's got a system in place to to kind of for that. So it's just like, yeah, whatever it is, it's fine. Before before we move on to directing, I've got some stuff about writing, and I watched this video on YouTube, which I highly recommend. It was really interesting. Um, the channel was Lessons from the Screenplay. Oh, nice. Have you seen some of their videos before? Yeah. Yeah. So this this was... I'm c- completely copying this, by the way. I'm just going to trans... Uh, trans um, not translate. Transcribe. Transcribe what they, were, what they were saying. So they were talking about the POV in films. And for basically in every film, the writer has to make a decision about whose perspective the story is told from. Um, and in this situation, they had three three people to choose from. Um, so the different perspectives are, for example, at one end of the spectrum, like Fight Club, you've got a limited POV where the audience experiences the story alongside the protagonist. So um, we only see what the protagonist sees and we only learn what he learns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum, we've got films like The Dark Knight, which is more of like an om- omniscient POV where the kind of the story's, the story's not told from one perspective. It's kind of, you know, jumping between characters. Um, and this one, it's it's told from the perspective of Caleb at the beginning. So then they go on about why did they choose Caleb and not Ava, or why did they not choose Nathan? And it's basically because Nathan had the most, no, uh, Caleb had the most to learn. Like he started from a position of knowing nothing mm-hmm. to knowing everything, whereas the other two, um, like from Nathan's perspective, it wouldn't be interesting because he spends you know most of the story drunk. And, so like all of the information he, that the audience needs to learn and he yeah, goes through him. Nathan already knows what the motive what his real motive is. He has too much information. So the audience hasn't wouldn't learn that much. Ava 
Like they she, would have she, to get caught up, wouldn't they? Nathan, uh, Ava's just in one room. Like she doesn't, she just doesn't Imagine interact if with the anyone. Film was from her perspective, and most of the time she was just like Sinner. sitting around. So, but yeah, but Caleb, yeah, he's in the unique position where he's gone from knowing nothing to everything, and so his journey of discovery is more interesting. So that just kind of made me wonder. Um, if you're writing a, a script and you're having kind of problems with it, you don't think it's very interesting, why not try changing the perspective that you're talking about? Like mm-hmm. pick another character or pick a, a person that you didn't even know whose perspective might be interesting. Say if it was a bank robbery, why don't you try telling it from the, you know, the bank teller. Th- teller's point of view or something like that, just to tell the same story, but in a different way. Yeah, that's a super interesting fact. Um, I read somewhere as well that, you know, make sure you are writing it from the, the right character's perspective because you know what you might have started writing this film and like oh you wrote it from nathan's character um and he just went actually he's not the main character like yeah I, if i got like 110 pages of a screenplay and then i've realized i've actually written about the wrong character i would be good as but i've got 110 pages of another person's perspective like you've just said because you know when someone walks out of a room they don't just like stop moving they're going to do something and there's the, the there's always a backstory and a side story. The kind of the story does shift towards the kind of the, the end part of the film to other people's perspectives. But mm-hmm. for the first two thirds, it's all all with Caleb, and we're learning as he's learning. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, also, we'll also get like a scene where we we do have that fourth character in this that the Kyoto Kyoto's character, and she's starting to become a little bit more aware. We just get a few more shots of her just looking. And uh, imagine if it was told through her perspective; that'd be quite interesting. Um, it would be a completely different story, but it would be interesting. Yeah, um, uh-huh. She'd just be standing in like a closet for like half the film, just like <laughs> just like waiting for something to happen. But then, um, what was I going to say? Oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. No, no, yeah. it's, it's a really good. Uh, like you're right. Um, he is the perfect person to like for us to follow because as an audience, we are him. You know, uh, we know nothing about what's going on, so we can learn along the way. And then when that exposition but, does get told to, to him, it's fine because he doesn't know. But, but that ne- doesn't necessarily that like he's kind of set up as the protagonist at the beginning. But I don't think he is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. I just think because of the way the story's told, we're led to believe that he is. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it it makes us question like, oh, who are we rooting for here? Is it him or is it Ava? Is it Nathan? Um, so again, it just kind of draws the audience in a bit more. Uh, another example, I've just reread and watched The Great Gatsby. I don't know if you've seen that recently. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. another good example of that. That's a story about Gatsby, but told from the perspective of... Um, of I, forgot um, his name. I forgot his name now. Spider-Man. The, the writer. Spider-Man. Um, Tommy Maguire. Uh, yeah, but I can't remember his name. Nick. He's called Nick in the story. Mm. So that was a choice. Why did they choose to tell, get him to tell the story of another person, mm-hmm. even though the other person is the protagonist? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I get it's just something to think about when you're writing well, stories and screenplays. I think. I think with Great Great Gatsby as well, it's actually better to come from a character like Nick because everything looks so wonderful and magical. Again, yeah, exactly. On, he's on going the surface, a, yeah. He's going from learning, having no information, to having all the information. So mm-hmm. it's that journey. Whereas if we, if it was Gatsby telling the story, he knows everything, doesn't he? Yeah, and it would be really, really sad, and him just mulling around. <laughs> Um, but when it's Nick's character, there's like parties going on. He's like, wow, all of these famous people are here that I've never met, but Gatsby's met them all. So it's just like, oh, all right, mate. You know, it would just be boring. So, so uh, uh, yeah, watch that. Um, I don't know what the video is called, but yeah, Lessons from the Screenplay X Machina. It'll be easy to find. Yeah. 
watch all of theirs because uh, the, all their videos are really good. They've stopped doing them now, haven't they? So, um, yeah. Right, let's yeah, let's go into direction execution then. Um, let's talk a little bit about performances then. What do you think about what do you think about the actors in this film? Pretty good. Pretty stellar, weren't they? I wouldn't be surprised if they all got offered like seventeen films after this. They did, didn't they? Like Oscar Isaac and uh, <laughs> Donald Gleeson. He they were just in like like everything from from now on. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of non dialogue in this during performances that I think is really stand out. Um, so watching some of this actually like made us want to be an actor while watching this film. I was like, man, the the amount of detail that they go into. Uh, one shot in particular was when. Caleb comes up with the plan to get him drunk. So then in the morning, he's like, Oh, it's my last day. We should have a drink, have some vodka. And he's like, Nah, don't bother. And then you get a shot where Nathan is looking away. Caleb's talking to him and trying to smile. And as soon as he turns, his face just drops. Mm -hmm. I just thought, Man, it's so good. There's so much like facial stuff Mm -hmm. in this film. And then because Ava talks about was it micro perform micro movement in faces you start to really look at the micro movement in faces in this film yeah. and if the acting wasn't as stellar as it was i think because ava's the one you know looking seeing what's going on she automatically like makes your brain want to do it yourself if the acting was no good I think this film would have just completely fallen apart. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think when you're talking about like the micro movements uh, in the faces and stuff, what really helps us like see them even more is the the set design. You know, the the sets look amazing, but they're not like super um, cluttered. You know, everything has its place. It, the corridor, everything's quite clean, so we can just focus on them. You know, I, I think this is one of the best looking films out there. Um, but it, it's like it it actually helps with those like small micro performances in the faces and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, yeah, they're almost like empty boxes in a way with like minimal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the the performances like so many subtle movements, which I think I noticed even more the second time watching. I think if I watched it again soon, you'll be able you'll probably see even more. You would. What about in terms of other parts of direction then? Um, as a mel- as a medley of this film, so we talk about performance, a camera, sound and music, as well as things like art direction and production design. It, it really just doesn't get anything wrong. Like everything really feels like it's embedded together and it works in tandem with each other. We'll obviously go into those elements later on, but I'm... I've watched this twice and I'm still just super impressed at how visionary this film is and they've managed to, they've managed to execute it without any real flaws. It, it's like, You know, like sometimes you'll get like the soundtrack won't quite be right. Like you were saying the other day, K-Dog, that the soundtrack of The Great Escape, even though it's recognisable, it doesn't really fit. But nothing seems to not fit. Everything seems to fit in this so well. It's amazing that this is his directorial debut as well now, this is his first film if you watch this and you didn't know anything about it you go oh this guy's made this guy's got some experience and this is the culmination of his all of his everything that he's Absolutely. learned this is the first thing he did god. he's obviously wrote before he did he wrote the screenplay for a lot of i think 28 days later and um Annihilation. Uh, 
Yeah. Obviously, that was after this, but but this was the first one he directed, and it just yeah, it's a very confident first film. He knew exactly what he wanted, and he executed it perfectly. God, God damn it! <laughs> it makes you wonder um, that he's wrote some of these, some of these other movies, uh, like Annihilation. He wrote Twenty Eight Days Later, um, Never Let Me Go. That's a, that's a good one so, as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. You, you Sunshine, he's... The Beach. He's done a lot. And dread, it's loads. And then he must write it, send it off, and then someone else makes it, and he goes, oh, "That's not what I was thinking." <laughs> right, ex machina. This is this is the puppy. This is the baby right here. Yeah, there's always a, I'm doing this one. There's always a lot of intent as well. It, it might look quite subtle, but there's so so much intent, and like you know, it's clearly just his vision. And I think I was reading somewhere where the reason it is 15 million is because he did want to push this into a studio and make a studio film, which I reckon he probably could have with this. Um, you know, a couple of films probably down the line, but it's kind of good that he has done this as his first one, so he can just make it his. It's no one else's. It's no studio notes. I reckon there was probably notes with that script that you said earlier, K-Dog. But um, it's just like, yeah, it's it's just clean and smooth and like there's no... It's really annoying. There's no faults. <laughs> Not really. It's crazy how all these puzzle pieces seem to fit together yeah. without any real flaws other than the key card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah other than a few like plot um, issues, which you, you can't have a, a, a perfect plot really when you need... For for a story like this, you need some holes that that uh, to move the story need some along. Creative license, yeah. To well, get it going. I think I think you just. But need... they're not major though. They don't like go. You, you don't like, yeah. Openly laugh out loud when you see them. It's like oh, yeah. Is when o- you think about it enough. Is it is an audience member we've seen like those cliches enough? So we're just like and the, but there's only a few in here just to help that plot progress. So you're like you'll forgive it because everything else is like so good. Also, you can oh. kind of forgive any ex machinas in a film called Ex Magna. It's like, <laughs> it's like, all right, you're allowed to do that. Yeah, that's that's well, a good point. Anyone who's listening doesn't know what Deus Ex Machina is. What is it? It's just a it's a um a plot device that kind of comes out of seemingly out of nowhere that hasn't been um established kind of established yeah. initially in the story. For so I, I wrote down the ex machina in this film. Well, one of the ones that I saw was when um at the end when Ava whispers into the sex robot and she just happens to just change her programming and just kills the kills Nathan. I'm like, what did you say? Like that yeah. hasn't been established that she could do that. Yeah. Um so that's an example of an ex magna. I mean in, in films ex magna is when like the heroes in like a complete danger, they're literally about to die. And then the best mate from like scene two, minute minute three turns up who we haven't seen and like an, an hour and uh, 40 minutes turns up and just saves the day you're like Sci- he happens to have a machine gun uh, yeah he's Sci-fi. not a soldier at no point did he have a machine gun before but the writer needed someone to have a machine gun to save our protagonist yeah sci-fi is um falls victim to this a lot of the times a lot yeah doctor who does it in every episode that's why i had to stop watching doctor who yeah and mm-hmm. um, oh, star wars <laughs> doctor who. so deus ex machina is the sonic screwdriver yep. yeah it's like we've established the rules of what the sonic screwdriver can do doesn't matter in this episode it's going to do what we need <laughs> to get through yeah this it's, it's always this it was the sonic sonic screwdriver and the tardis they just like did whatever they yep. needed to whatever they needed <laughs> to yeah. survive the thing is, the, the they do it in star wars in yep. star wars as well you know the final battle 
all is lost and then suddenly something happens then and, the millennial falcon turns up <laughs> yeah you're like what that's just what yeah so well, like so, in the lord of the rings when the they, they finally drop the ring into mount doom and they're, they're on the they're on the rock and all the lava is going to come kill them and then suddenly birds <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've seen a bird before but it makes it also makes you wonder well why did the birds go all the way you know could have picked him up in hobbiton yeah. they could have stopped off at rivendell got some lunch and then went and dropped the ring off and then they would have been home for tea exactly <laughs> like we should um we should do a lot of the rings on uh on the pod at one point but like trilogy and make the pods nine hours long yeah um extended <laughs> edition extended pod edition uh because I think you couldn't just talk about one of those films. I think you would have to talk about them all. So yeah, um, yeah. Right. Um, have you got any more direction? Otherwise, we'll move on to how good this film looks. No, let's let's get onto the camera work then. Yep. Yeah, so it's one of the interesting facts. Well, it, in terms of the the look of it, you know, the set builds a massive part in that. Um, and there's two um, there's two like locations on this. So one of them is like obviously studio it's shot in pine wood, and that's generally all of the basement stuff, all of the stuff that's not outside. And then his house is actually a real house. I was watching um, like a random like great homes around the world. I think it's on Netflix or whatever. Oh, like a, and uh, you watched it. It was on an episode of Grand Design. Yeah, yeah, it was on one of those. <laughs> and the house is in Norway, and it's just a. It's like built into the rock face like that, and then there's another glass hut over there, and it's uh, that's actually a real house. So his kitchen, his right. living room. I think there was um, another scene as well. Um, so that's that's shot in location, but then they built the rest of the set um, in pine wood, which is. Do you think this is why they had a basement because they needed some extra rooms for the film, and they went well. That if we put them in a basement, we can just make sets. Yeah, I think it, it's. I think it's obviously cheaper as well to 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 just build them, and obviously you can. Get, it's easier to film in them and everything like that. So it's a. Uh, I mean, it looks great. It's like spectacular the way it looks. Um, one of the interesting facts about the cinematography and the lights, they wanted to try and avoid uh, using fluorescent lights, which you see in a lot of sci-fi films. So sci-fi films use fluorescent lights, and you get that. Um, you know that greeny tinge to them. Um, but what they did they actually used 15,000 tungsten bulbs like mini tungsten bulbs 15,000 of them throughout the set so it would give you a better colour accuracy um, and it, would, it just it, it says they just wanted a slightly different look and because they were building the sets from scratch they could do this so you see like the floors of the ceilings have all got lights in all of those are like tungsten bulbs and 15,000 of them imagine putting your order in to like Wilkinson's and then just, it's like 15,000 bulbs, please. I wonder how many of them burst. Yeah, I know. Because the probably wouldn't have used LED. They might have, but I couldn't find that information. But it was like, yeah, it was 15,000 of them into the set. So. And all of that, just to make it seem like it was in a different world from the typical sci-fi film, it really worked, didn't it? Like, it kept it a little bit more grounded, a bit more strange. It definitely didn't have, like, the, like alien look or like the matrix or something um it's it's kind of got its own little visual identity like you could make a mex an ex machina looking film yeah i mean you don't you never really get that uh typical sci-fi gritty scene um so you know it's like in blade runner week it's just all gritty 
in like aliens and stuff you know you do get the clean cut but then you get the all the lights have gone off and there's water running everywhere <laughs> there was no point where we got the lights flickering through the corridor yeah you know you, we we get the the red like obviously when the power goes down but it's all red kind of makes sense everyone understands that um it's when they have their downtime but everything else is it's actually very very well lit the majority of this film um there's not a massive high contrast but it, it definitely has that um that sci-fi futuristic smoky look you know um i don't know if it was shot anamorphic i'm just I'm hoping. I think it was. Yeah. There was there was definitely some anamorphic yeah. flares in there. And, and what's what's really nice about um a lot of the cinematography they use reflections a lot, um, which is kind of represents some of the story as well. It's like f- reflection of man and obviously what what you see of yourself and and things like that. And they shoot through the glass and you get like the the beams of uh some of the lights like showing what is behind them onto the actor's face. Um and it just it Every time I've kind of watched this film, every time you see the picture, um, it's and you always see it is is them standing in the the corridor. For some reason, I always see that picture. That's what everyone uses is like the um, uh, the reference photo for this film in like videos and stuff. It's just like it's just a corridor. It's concrete and it's white light, but it look just looks so good. Yeah, the cinematography and the art direction and production design really play well together, don't they? Mm-hmm. So like. You say that 15,000 bulbs and then there's a lot of like strip lighting that, that's like underneath the concrete. It's very like purpose built and because of like the dark grey concrete, a lot of the light can be a lot brighter mm-hmm. that way. Ooh. And then because a lot of the stuff upstairs, it's like cloudy, cloudy outside. Um, We get a lot of just massive windows, which means that we get a lot of light coming through. So in order to counteract... Uh, just a massive bright kitchen or a massive bright living room or whatever you put loads of dark concrete on the walls and then all of a sudden you've got a nice fall off you've got loads of contrast and then you can start putting some putting some lamps and practical mm. lights in like it's it's an absolute treat like Every, everything's quite um you get quite soft lights as well because all of the sources of light are quite big as well like even the strip lights there's a lot of them and they run the run for miles but then you've kind of get like architectural design from the lights as well so they're like hidden behind panels so um and it it just yeah it just just looks like class and, and in terms of this like the set that builds into this like it says everything's everything's fairly clean and there's nothing really out of place ever um which is quite which is quite quite interesting considering the character is quite He's not crazy, but he's a little bit neurotic and he's an alcoholic. Which So you put this clean architecture and clean design into the sets and then you put like this like sort of filthy character in there. Yeah. It really gives the, the character room to pop. Yeah. Um, the best scene in this, and it's in my top five, I'm going to say favourite scenes of all time. Can I'm I not... guess what it's going to be? Yeah, I guess. Go on. Is it the dancing? Yeah, it is. It's so good. It's like it's it's just the bit I love the most is like um he's like you need it's something like tearing up and he's like, Well, I'm gonna tear up the dance floor and then he just walks over and then he starts dancing and then the robot just goes in sync on the same moves and I just love it. I love everything about it and I, like my, if I ever my meet, question watching this was did he teach her how to do that? Like at what point in in no. his isolation did he uh did they both learn this choreographed dance? I think I think in that point that's the first 
realization where I, I think where she's she's a robot and she's actually just following along. She's following along to commands. Yeah. <laughs> like she. It's a good point in the film as well, considering uh, the Nathan character has always been this sort of angry type of guy, the straight man. He's a, he's always saying to Caleb, "Listen, I just want it simple. Stop being a programmer." And he's been a bit of a dickhead, really, what? to Caleb. And then in that scene, Caleb's being way too serious. And Nathan goes, Ah, he's got to lighten up, man. Come yeah. on. And it's like, All right, you didn't lighten up before. Now you do want to lighten up. What the hell's going on? And he's just completely manipulating his feelings. Mm-hmm. And he's using that as a way to basically make an enemy out of him so then he can start planning with Ava. And it, it's clever stuff. It's straight after that scene as well. It kind of does a hard cut of them two walking down the the corridor, and this is when he first uh, he, he leads uh, Caleb. Le- uh, thing he leads Caleb to his room, and then that's where he gets the card for the first time because he's so drunk. And it's kind of just like it just flows into like into that, which is really good. And I just think in the middle of this film we get this crazy dancing, and the, every time I watch it, I just start laughing. I think it's hilarious. I do. And, uh, it is that nice little bit of co- like very very subtle comic relief that we needed throughout this. Mm-hmm. It's that breathing room, but it's also like a fresh start yeah. to the rest of the downfall of of the not the downfall of the movie, but like the downfall of the characters. Yeah. Like this scene, I've watched more than the actual film. It's like it's one of those things I'll just randomly find on YouTube and watch. You know, like um, Ryan Gosling when he does the papyrus uh, sketch. Saturday Night Live. I watch that every so often as well, um, <laughs> because that's just like it's just hilarious. So, just be- that, those little uplifting scenes. Yeah, you know when you're like feeling a little bit down. This scene and then the papyrus scene. Just stick it on. Just, <laughs> yeah. just, just for ten minutes. You know what I, I like the most was um, the fact that the architect has has built the concrete into the rock face, and then the rock face goes to the glass work, mm-hmm. and it like sort of the outside has this nice little transition to come inside. I think Kevin McLeod from Grand Designs would be would be I, talking it's on, just like this at this moment. <laughs> Go on, um, there's a, sh- a show on Netflix, which actually the visit this in more homes, and it's got um, one of the women out of Men Behaving Badly on it. She's like, one, she, right. she goes, she doesn't know much about homes, but she's like the comic relief to the other guy yeah. who knows everything. And uh, the, the visit this one and it's just like tree houses. It's like each one's like a tree house and it's just, it's, it's like extraordinary, extraordinary homes or something. It's on Netflix. It's yeah. good. Should we, should we get the special slash visual effects? Yeah, there wasn't any, um, was there? I don't think there's, oh! <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Got yeah. There was actually, Eight, 800 visual effect shots. There you go. 800 visual effect shots. Right, I'll tell you what's the most impressive thing about Ava is the fact that you've got, like, sub-pixel movement in our arms that translates so well. Obviously, this film is now six years old, and if you really... If you looked at a microscope, you would obviously find flaws, but they did a really clever thing with... Making a making a suit like half of it is real, things like our arms and stuff are fake, which is probably like the easiest part to visual effects eyes. Things like the stomach, we get like the midriff and things like that. Um, but then it's all like honeycomb, mm-hmm. like costuming, which is funny because if you looked at a like a suit they would use for visual effects like mocap and stuff or tracking, 
all of that data is kind of they've hid the data points that you need for visual effects in the costume. Mm. Um, it's pretty good looking costume. Like, uh, the fact that they managed to do this with moving cameras and like we can see behind it. That we'll go into sound design in a bit, but it's good. Like, I mean, what's what's amazing about it is like those mechanical parts that you see. It's not green screen. It's not that's not you know the use actually no green screen in this film at all. It's you know the the mesh you do see is just is the entire suit is just that when you watch the behind the scenes. It's just there's no like like green screen more cap suit. It is just that mesh. And it's like the the uh, they did that so and they could just light the scene like they would normally light a scene. They didn't have to put extra lighting into for a green screen type thing um, oh, for, right for her suit. So her arms aren't green. And you see this quite a lot. When you see someone who's got a mechanical arm on set, it's just a green arm. It's not. It's just it's just the mesh all the way around. So it's, I, it, I thought it was a green arm when I was watching it. I'm no. looking at photos now. And yeah. now I... Yeah, it's not. So it, and it, it did a clever thing with putting the armbands so we've got clear segmentation of where mm-hmm, yeah. the visual effects will begin. So when you rotoscope it all out, poor VFX artist. Oh, God, yeah. When you rotoscope it out, you've got these nice contrasted lines between like the dark armbands and stuff and then the light grey yeah. rest of the mesh. And I, it, bet, I bet the special effects artists were like, why didn't you just make her have skin like yeah. all the other ones? I mean, when uh, she puts the clothes on, that saved a hell of a lot of money in the uh, in the budget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a proper prison break style, isn't yeah. it? We yeah. got this, this I, I, I saw that she tattoos his entire I, body. Oh, let's put a jumper on him. <laughs> I saw that she uh, kept her uh, kept her clothes on for a few of them sessions. After yeah, she yeah. didn't have to do that. They were just. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about costumes, actually. Um, one thing I noticed with Caleb's character is that he 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 turns up looking very very smart. Not so much a suit, but he's got like a button down shirt and stuff. And then by the end of it, he's in like hoodies, joggers. And is it is it like he's got comfortable with living there? Or is it he's no longer trying to impress Nathan? Like what does the sort of regression of his costume show to the audience? Yeah, possibly. And uh, with Nathan's costumes, I noticed his, he was wearing a, a wife beater throughout the whole thing or majority of the time, mm-hmm. which again highlights his uh, kind of machoism, his, his ego. Um, his his strength as a character. Yeah, I think um, I think if Caleb's um, or if Nathan was a like a slightly different character and he was more businessy, Caleb probably would have carried on wearing his shirt. Um, but as he's become more comfortable and he knows Nathan isn't like that at all, it is just like I'm just gonna kind of reflect uh, him. And I th- I think that probably works when he is speaking to Ava a little bit more if he's wearing something relaxed. Um, just like a normal person, instead of looking dead official with like he could just have a clipboard then and then he's noting down everything he is saying. He just wants to like basically be on a date with her. So. Aye, did you notice? Any, did he? Uh, did he dress up at all for Ava towards the end when they started to have a little crush on each other? Um, at one point he's got a flannel shirt on, so flannel shirt. You know, they're always a winner, aren't they? <laughs> Um, uh, what about special special effects? Was there any set extensions or anything? Because I know obviously that we've got like the vistas, and uh, the massive like house in Norway. But did they extend any of that? No. Like, does it look different in that show that you've watched compared to the movie? No, I think within that like small space, um, that you don't see too much of the outside. So I don't think the the will have had to. Um, they might have extended some of the stuff when they were outside. Um, but. 
I very much doubt it. It looks it looks all like it's pretty much just they've picked great locations. Um, maybe you know when he goes to the the house for the first time and he goes through the door, we kind of see like parts of the house like further back into like the woodland. That might yeah. that might have been like set extensions and stuff like that because you don't really need to see the exterior of that house because the exterior isn't the one that's in that show. I think that's that's particularly built for that that scene. Um, so I, th- oh, okay. I think when you like the like the front door, you mean? Yeah, like the front door, like the uh, you know the I think you see a big cell tower or whatever it is, uh, the satellite dish, you know stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think apart from that, it's uh, it's unreal. It's all real. I'm actually just looking at the Kyoto's character when she starts to peel off a a face, um, and everything. Like I'm looking at the image there, and that looks so good. It looks look. Like I've seen, obviously things like uh, Westworld. Westworld do a lot of things like this, um, and but this just looks like spectacular. Again, um, the one thing I want to mention is obviously Oscar Isaac's got a shaved head. Did you notice that little white patch on the top Gray of his patch. head? Yeah. It, did that? Did that pull me out the film? Yeah, just a little. Pull me out the film. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's got a bald patch. And then I like had to look closer. Oh no, it's like a grey patch. Yeah, I, I I kept seeing it. You know what? That takes like four or five stars out of this rating for this movie. Like, yeah, he's um, got a killer beard though, hasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he does. Oh. Actually, in terms of special effects, um, when he when he when he cuts his arm, and the blood comes out, mm-hmm. and then he like opens it, pries open the cut, you know, and he's uh wondering whether he's actually a robot or not. Mm-hmm. That's gruesome, like, yeah. and I didn't. There's no like clear like makeup points. You would definitely need stitches. Yeah, it's true. Right, okay, that's another plot point that <laughs> I was gonna mention. He cuts his arm on what is essentially the the place where is a very successful suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a little bit further down the wrist, but I'm not trying to advocate to it. Um, yeah, he should have had stitches. He, we we get no arm. Uh, dressing or anything there's no blood on his clothes we just after that scene it's like forget me, about me hands hurting he's like he's rubbing his hand and he's like my hands hurt. I'm like yeah but there will be blood everywhere like uh, yeah mm-hmm. it's it's weird mm-hmm. it's very weird um, one of the other, like bits of makeup and visual effects is um, it's obviously it is her suit but it's the head that mainly so you know like around her neck and around her ear and her head obviously she's wearing a bald, uh, bald cap but then they've added skin around those points um, like around her ear and then but they've like extended the skin out yeah and then that's blended into her skin and right. and you know that's I'm looking at an image here without the, any visual effects on it and it's just seamless it's like there's no, you know, that I thought that within the visual effects I might have touched that that same up, but it's just absolutely same as the color and everything like that. And you know, I imagine it was a pain pain to get into this character every day. I bet it was a uh, quite a few hours to to get into the suit, but it's just it shows you what you you know if you do go down the the practical route or half practical and half visual effects what you can achieve. If this was fully. Um, like visual effects and she was just wearing a green suit throughout throughout the cinematography would have been different because they would have had a light for the green as well yeah and then the we probably wouldn't have felt as much an emotional impact as well yeah or connection with her as a character because like as much as like Gollum 
is an empathetic guy in Lord of the Rings. We understand he's the CG character, so instantly we we have this disconnect. Mm-hmm. But because she's she's an, she's an actress, and we just get the little bits of visual effects to give us the clues that she's not a human, um, it means that a face is is uh, untampered with in terms of visual effects, and that's where that's where all the emotion's going to come from, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's definitely the. If I was ever going to, going to make a film where it had a, a an AI robot or something of this capacity, it would have to be like that. Especially if you want, like like you said, that the human characteristics coming across that in the motion, um, just to help performances as well. Because just having a green thing on stage is, I think that every a lot of places are starting to do a little bit of both now. You know, we went through the whole stage of everything was just green screen. Get, uh, James Cameron was just like, let's not even have green screen. Let's just film it randomly with motion capture. And it's just like all done on a computer, which looks amazing, by the way. I think Avatar, people slated it, but I think it's it's actually fantastic. Yeah, good. I watched it not long ago and it, it's, it's unbelievable. Do you think people jumped on the bandwagon of hate in Avatar because it was like the biggest film of all time? Yeah. yeah. Um, people love to hate the thing that's popular yeah. right. Avatar hipsters <laughs> we've, we've probably mentioned Avatar more than any other film on this podcast, we have to do it yeah that, that's... I, I haven't seen it since like Me neither. I don't think I've seen it since the cinema yeah, I watched um, I watched it recently because uh, I hadn't seen it uh, since the cinema, but I got it on Blu-ray and like all the extended three-hour extended version cut and the extras, and it's just a really good deep dive into the film. And you know what? It's just a good action adventure film, like yeah. it, uh, down to it. That's what it is, and I'm actually quite excited to see how far this could go because he's making another four. I think one of them's underwater. So they were filming, un- did everything underwater, like the filming. I'm like, okay, like let's let's go and see Pandora underwater. This sounds like this sounds like everything I want to to to, uh, to see in a film, like in an adventure film. So, um, but let's get back to X Magna. <laughs> should we should we move on to editing then? We've talked a little bit about the changes of pace in this. Um, this how long is this film? Is it almost two hours? Now, is it over two hours? Now a forty, I think. Now a forty. So. All right, it's not the longest film then. Um, there's a lot of breathing room in this, but at no point throughout this did I feel like it was a slog. No. It was slowing down. No. It all it all presented things at the at the correct pace, and then I think we get enough of following the eyes in this. So going between each character and making sure that we cover the scene without over covering it or under covering it. Um, it feels like the editing just sort of runs along smoothly and you don't really notice it did you guys sort of feel the editing when you watch this i i didn't feel the editing but i felt <clears throat> i don't know if this is editing it was a very tense film wasn't it a very a very uh tension filled film and a slow burner but it definitely burnt you know but it, it's like i've been Ooh, learning a lot slow about burner, but it was hot i've been learning a lot about music theory this week just because to keep me entertained but i can it you know, in music where you have like a fifth chord and then it resolves itself no. in a scale? No. Richie, no. So, this... All right, so the idea of a, a scale or a key. So if if I went ba, 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 ba. Nice. And then we... Ba, that's so, the resolution. So that seventh note, that ba, we instinctively, we don't realize we do this, but we instinctively want it to resolve to the ba, to the, to the root note. Um, and I feel like that's what this film was doing. It got to that seventh note, 
and it just kind of stayed there throughout the whole film and it just never resolved and we were always like on the edge of our seat and wanted it to resolve and then we finally kind of when she got out it kind of did that final chord with it and I, I liked i liked that i don't know if that's editing yeah no it definitely isn't what what is actually nice about that like that last chord if you want to talk about it like that is that scene where everything does get resolved is actually quite short you know it's not like all right we've got to fight this big bad monster at the end she achieves that goal she gets out and nathan dies very quickly and she's gone she just walks out um i think obviously she, she goes and gets ready and, and puts a dress on and, and stuff like that but it's like it even it slows right back down when she does that and then it's just like okay she's in the real world but I just, I love how it yeah, just allows that time to build that tension and to ponder mm-hmm. and make the audience wonder and kind of live live in the film um, for for a short time. Yeah. So yeah, I like the editing. It was a good pace, a very good pace. Yeah, and, and I think we've only having three characters in this. With, uh, well, four technically, because uh, I think she, the Kyoto character has, she has like, she does have a quite a big part in this, it, um, like th- throughout and then especially at the end, it's just a very subtle part. Um, but we're having like the three main uh, the characters. I think we just get enough dialogue. We get enough like them just sitting there because the you know it's like we've always been in like uh, lockdown and a lot of people around the world we've ha- had that extra time to just kind of like sit there and pretty much do nothing, and just they they they're doing quite similar. They're not going anywhere. They've clearly just got one job to do, and um, we do get those down moments. But when it, the pace needs to to ramp up. To get that right and it sounds like they have cut a lot out of the script and the filming of it as well which i think sounds like this is the best version so it's definitely a good version i don't know how you make it much better than this mm-hmm. so sound design i had my headphones on watching this mm-hmm. and yeah this is a brilliant sounding film so like even if you took the soundtrack out they they, they managed to make it so tense because um the house itself just hums all the time mm. like like a machine would so like when the when the doors open and he goes in it's just like there's like droning going on all the time and it's it it makes you on edge there's no calm and then i think like k-dog said there when you finally at the end she's out the house and we get rid of this drone it's not there anymore and it's like your teeth are no longer rattling and uh, they do that throughout this whole film. It's it's mad how much of the sound design is sort of like mixed in with the music, um, and doing it in psychological ways. And then obviously, like the sound of her movement yeah. is. It's a, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, she's like every time she steps and moves and walks, she's just got like this mechanical uh sound to it. But it doesn't get boring. It gets it's it feels quite natural to who she is within the movement um and what's quite interesting you don't hear that sound from kyoto like he's he's clearly figured out how to get rid of it um yeah so i mean we need it we need it to hide it with her character because she we we, it's like a reveal that she's a she's a a robot Mm -hmm. um just i don't think she has that sound effect when she starts sticking the skin on no so maybe it's only when she's exposed uh, do we hear all of the the cogs and things were and mm-hmm. um, it's clever. It would be interesting to like see uh, X Machina Part Two where Eva's Eva's adventure and she's just like just chilling, <laughs> walking around, and then you know 
it's just getting old now, and then a bit of her skin just starts to peel off, and she's got like stick it on with like like uh, super glue and that, and uh, it's just uh, she's creaking in a little bit. <laughs> in our wardrobe, she's just got like loads of skins like hanging up and that, and different skins. Yeah, uh, she killed people and got the skins. Possibly, it's a horror movie. Yeah. Um, because she can only last surely she can only last so long because the thing is what's another plot point she said she charges from the plate that's in her room and that's how she's oh, okay. that's how she's actually um, making the power surges and the power go off so when she goes into the real world how long is she going to last just head to Imagine. the head to the apple store yeah, just get, just, some, get some charges. Just get, a, just get a Thunderbolt charge or whatever it's called. And just, uh, She's definitely made by Apple. Yeah. Imagine if uh, we got this massive anticlimax at the end where she gets in the helicopter and the guy's like, hey, doll. And she's like, hello, go back to this place. Okay. And then we just like see on our arm or something like a little battery thing and it goes boozy. Yeah, or he's set like a he's put like a bomb in her if he if she gets so far away from like the <laughs> facility. Like like I've, we've seen that happen. Kills the helicopter pilot. Yeah. Oh, it, it would just be like it would just be awful and that's not what this film is. It's like this could be a a, a cheesy action film, a sci-fi film easily. You know, with the whole AI aspect, but we've seen that. We've seen that so many times. Like iRobot. I mean, I used to. I, I loved iRobot when it came out, but I haven't seen it since then. But um, I, I reckon it's it's got a lot of plot points like that, where it's just like, oh yeah, of course that's going to happen. Um, but and they mention they mention stuff it's, like that, like AI will take over. Like the, he has a conversation about it, and they know it's going to happen. So what's what's good about it, like the reference and all of those cliches in the film. So they're, they're living in the real world. It's interesting how this isn't a unique story. We've seen this so many different times, but how they can continue to get new new ways of telling this story. Like, you know, 2001, same sort of story about does how can, does AI have consciousness and what would they do with that? Mm-hmm. And who's, can they be good and evil if they aren't human? Um, who else? iRobot, Blade Runner. That's all. That's all about that. Yeah, Blade Runner is essentially. This is a prequel. This is essentially Blade Runner. Um, yeah, Terminator. So someone would be hunting uh, Ava down. Black Mirror. Yeah. Well, uh, our our uh, Caleb, um, he's he's an AI in the Black Mirror episode. Yeah, he's in Black Mirror. He plays <laughs> he plays the AI, yeah, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, he does. That's a good one. There. That's one of my favorite Black Mirrors. Yeah, it's cool. Because he dies, doesn't he, so- in that one? All right, that's not. Uh, well, it's spoiler. it's at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, yeah, he dies at the beginning, and then he gets made into a a robot, and she, she, uh, she like that's all... like two. That's like too real. Yeah. Soundtrack. What do you think? I mean, that song when the dance is just that's a tune, that isn't it? <laughs> so other than that, <laughs> the, what about the score? There wasn't anything the else. Sco- was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, got... that's the song I'm putting on the podcast. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> You've kind of got this uh, like electronic motif going throughout the whole thing. Like, um, nothing too distinctive about it that I can remember. There probably is, but then there's a little like classical pieces, standard back show bear I've got here. Uh, it was nice. It was kind of subtle. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. So, how would you do it differently? <laughs> there wasn't anything to talk about with that. Was For it? anyone who really loves the soundtrack of this film, and we've just went straight over. Yeah, it's good. It's just like <laughs> everything else. It's really good. Um, yeah, so... So, whatever. <laughs> so, how would you do it differently, Rich? 
Um, oh, this is a difficult one. Right, so I would have to spend some time to think about how I can get rid of the keycard and do something else instead. But obviously, if you get rid of the keycard and put like a retinal scanner or a thumbprint scanner in, it obviously folds plot points later on. So I don't know. And I like the look of it, so I probably wouldn't change that. Um, no, I don't think I would do much differently, to be honest. Yeah, but if anything, it would be the key card. Uh, K-Dog? But was there was something else actually? No. There was um, what was it we we're talking about that was like really? Oh, I would try and really try my hardest to take out any of the programming, or like I'm gonna hack the. I've been. I'm gonna reverse the polarity of the yeah. generators. Uh, I would try and remove all of that. Yeah, all together. I'm kind of glad they only did that once. Um. But we get to see that he did it before, like he got caught with the plan, so it kind of all made yeah. sense. But you're right; it's like, well, it's when when Ava says that she's the one causing the generators, and then it's like, well, how are you doing that? And then she's like, oh, I did this, this, and this. But we don't need us. We don't need her to tell us how she's doing it. We just need to see that she puts a hand on and she's causing it to happen. Um. But yeah, like the like you say about the programming, we o we only see the programming once. Yeah. I'm really happy that we only see that once because it was like, uh, <laughs> like yeah, hack mode. Yeah, we we know your programmers. <laughs> it, it just had to be in there, just be like right, the programmers, we get it, and then yeah, uh, and they're not just programmers. Yeah, they're very good, good programmers. programmers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wicked programmer, fast programmer. <laughs> um, nah, I don't think I would do anything differently. Uh, watching it today for the podcast um you obviously put put your put your goggles on to criticize as much as possible but there really isn't a lot to criticize yeah it's difficult isn't it? i i agree i think there's a few sci-fi cliches in there that this this film's probably clever enough to to get rid of um but i i don't know how um what was the one i just thought of oh the, the, yeah in, going into the third act when caleb um starts to realize why he's really there um, not for the reasons that we, we was first told why he, he steals the card and hacks into his computer doing his programming skills and then They're all of the sound effects <laughs> I'm in all of uh, downloaded the mainframe <laughs> all of Nathan's um, kind of trials and tests of, of robots were just like coincidentally all nicely in folders for him to look through and watch mm. yeah just, yeah. to just to show that was a bit strange it was a bit it was strange like, oh it's like first of all it's like i'm gonna hack into i'm gonna hack into the the generators to do this and it just so happens that you can go onto the desktop and all them and it's files there open for them but really it'd be like where is it <laughs> where, where is it uh and then like you say it's like oh on the desktop there's a folder with all of the videos of how I treat robots. Yeah. 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 And then when after that, and then he goes and sees the sex robot, and then she just goes, all right, this is the time in the story where I reveal to you that I'm a robot now, and just, like, takes off her face. I'm like, why'd she, why'd she do that? Oh, uh, you see, it, when I first saw that today, I was like, oh, man, that is, like, the weakest part of this movie. But because Ava look, seems as though she's manipulating that character, um, did she tell that character to do that at that point so then so then Caleb gets that information well, to then further on the plot. What's interesting about uh, the Kyoto character is she actually goes down to see Ava before any of that 
So she makes the conscious choice to go and see her because she's watched. She, you see a scene even before that of her watching Ava on a screen. So yeah. even though she isn't the number one AI, she's just been one of the the versions. She's still extremely clever to to know what's going on. So we, I think, we just get enough of like of that type of stuff from that fourth character of just like she's starting to become self aware. She's learning from these other characters and then she wants to help. And then, like he says, the one thing that I would change, which Kid you said earlier, is like when she whispers, gets whispered in her ear and she's just like, now I'm a killer machine. Like, yeah, it's like... She didn't really need a whisper in her ear. No, because... Because they obviously were accomplices. Yeah, because, and I think um, she she kills, she stabs uh, Nathan's character and it's kind of just deserved from what he's put her through. He's created her, but he's used her as a slave. Um, so she stabs him, and it's just like, good. Like, I'm glad you've stabbed him. Like, you, But she didn't need to be told that. I think if she got there on her own at the final stage, um, I think it would have been fine. They could have just given each other a high five, and then she should have stabbed him. Like, yeah, we're in this together. So, Yes, yeah, so thinking about it, there's... There's quite a few things we've managed to pick out. Like at the start of this podcast, I was, I was worried we wouldn't be able to find anything. But, but no, no, there's some major parts that really could do with just trimming up a bit. There's no film that is is doesn't have parts like that. That there's no perfect film. Apart from Back to the Future, <laughs> I mean, there is a little bit of incest in that film, which is probably not right. But yeah, it's apart, apart from that, Back to the Future. <laughs> Is it? Uh, has it aged? It's only six years no. old. No, it's like I don't think it will. Until we get AIs, yeah, <laughs> walking around. Unless like visual effects get a massive upgrade with like physical based rendering or some crap like that, and then it starts to age the visual effects. I think that's the bit that's gonna show its age the most. But considering it's six years old, it still looks really good. I mean, I've seen some films in the last year which don't look as good visually. Look as good as that. So, yeah, and this was probably had a bigger budget. I mean, you know, this only had fifteen million, and you've got at the time obviously the the, the cast weren't massive, massively well known as what they are now. But you know, this still would have cost a lot. There was only four of them, um, but the visual effects alone would have cost a canny bit. Um, you know all the sets, uh, sets like that and, and stuff. But it's like it's quite a cheap film for what what they've achieved. I've seen a lot of films which we've spent a lot more and have definitely been worse than this. So, if if there was no real visual effects for Ava's character, and she covered up a lot earlier and she fully covered up, like fifteen million doesn't seem out of the realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Really, if, if she did that and then you got some, like, absolute no-names, when you think about, like, if they did it all on set, could be, like, well, super, super cheap. This, this film was, it was filmed in four weeks as well. Um, so if, if it sounds like the script's a little bit longer than the actual filming, but we're filming mainly on sets. There's obviously those couple of locations, but it's, um, and obviously helicopters and things like that, but it's mainly on set. The four weeks, the, the film's quite a lot. In, in that that space of time, and that's why they've kept the cost down as well. Um, so it's like if you can shoot a feature this good in that length of time, I mean, it, well, it's just shown that it's how how well he's done it. 
Yeah, there's not a lot that many locations within the set. Is the like half of the film is spent between the two panes of glass of them just talking. So they could have they could have rattled out the, an entire hour of the movie. Yeah, that's that's true. In like yeah, two weeks' yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of it in one location. Um, and I suppose they would have saved, they would have done all of Ava parts any time she's needed. Because a lot of the time she's not in this, they would have done her parts in a week. So they only had to yeah. like do so many of like the, the costume for her. Um, and then the visual effects could probably get started straight away and then the kind of the kind of know. Because um, a lot of the time it is just uh, our two male, male leads. Um, well, there's no lead in this, I don't think. I think everyone has... Um, just about the same amount of screen time and everything, so yeah, other than maybe Kyoko, yeah, who seems but, a bit more like a side, yeah. On. But I think she has her moments, she it's she's not just there for, to do nothing, she comes, yeah, she's still fundamental to the plot, yeah, isn't she? She, she really is. And she starts, you just see how subtle and that she starts to learn, so which is cool. So you've got you've got Caleb, Ava, Nathan, Kyoko, Kyoko. you've got the um, Heli driver. Yeah pilot and then you've got like a bunch of people who you don't even hear from at the beginning who are hugging them and that's it well you've got you've got all the robots in the cupboards as well yes oh, yeah. so, so they're, they're all actors aren't they they don't do any they don't do anything but they're they're all credited i assume uh yeah i think so so you've got lily jasmine jade and amber possibly but we don't really get it. We we see some of them. We see all of them as well, don't we? So we do see them in in the sets and things like yeah. that. So that's cool. Is it in the Matrix? Oh, good question. And if it is, how have they put it in the Matrix? Um, it could be. I mean, the Matrix is all about you know artificial intelligent AI, and so uh, I don't know. Um, this film's too good to be in the Matrix. <laughs> Yeah, when when he ever left, she uh, she downloaded how to do martial arts and just started like whipping the, <laughs> whipping people. Yeah, could she do that? Do you reckon she could do that? Well, the, she's if you when she's fighting Nathan. What's really nice about this film as well? It does it's it, and the, the stay away from the cliche of the AI being strong and just like whipping him across the wall. The wall the yeah. wall cracks. And like he slides down, and she, she sort she, of like loses her arm quite quickly. She wouldn't be very strong. Like if I hit you with a laptop, the laptop's gonna break. <laughs> you know what I mean? The machine, yeah. But like she still. Although saying that, this this stabbed him without any with relative ease. Yeah. Like when Kyoko put the the knife in him, it was just like. Whoop. And but the the actual there was there wasn't any like sound effects really on that because normally you would hear yeah. like a squelching Whereas, sound like, have you ever tried putting a knife in like a chicken breast mm. like there's some resistance yeah so there was some lack of resistance there which i would have well, appreciated I, what, what what i suppose when she's like got him on the floor and trying to choke him out he's he's resistant to that so he because you, you do see that he's actually been working out throughout this entire film he keeps in good shape so he could just about keep up with her but obviously, in yeah. the end, he, he does die, so they do get the better of him. So I don't think she's like superhuman strong. She's just stronger than a slightly stronger than a, a you know a man slightly. Um, but is it in the Matrix? Nah. Yeah. Got any uh, more trivia, fun facts, fan theories? Um, I've got trivia here. When they released about the marketing of the film, 
so when they released the film in 2005, no, not 2005, 2015, 2014, um, it was released at South by Southwest Festival, which is in Texas, and um, they used the dead in our tender, and they created a profile of Ava using the image of um, <laughs> Alicia, what's, it, what's she called? And um, in the Tomb text Raider. in the text conversations that they would inevitably have with the matches, the they, the conversation led to led them to the Instagram handle to promoting the film. <laughs> oh man, got <laughs> catfished. Poor guys, they've just they've just oh, yeah, they've just been like swiped with this like gorgeous robot essentially, and uh, <laughs> they're like, yes, I'm finally getting someone like like this and. It's Kafis. It's that personal experience. Bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't read that. I was the one tender at that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean... Uh, the, uh, all right. Uh, well, out of 10, then, what are these? How many x Machinas? Um, How many red lights? How many stabbings? Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it a, a good... A good nine, nine X Magnus. There's some sound effects. Yeah, I think. Been a lot. I think been water alarm. I think, mm, yeah, nine, eight, eight, nine. <laughs> eight, nine, eight point nine. Eight point nine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't quite give it the ten, the nine. Yeah, I would probably have given it a ten, um, before the conversations today. But I think I'll give it a solid well, nine. Well, you know, it's definitely one of the best films we've done on the. It's pod. definitely in my top ten. It is. <laughs> <laughs> what we haven't mentioned is a similarity to your other favorite film, which is similar themes, which is her. Oh yeah, maybe I do have a type. Um, yeah, when you picked this, I'm like, you just love sexy robots, don't you? <laughs> possibly. I might. You might have just unwaken, unwaken something in us. So. <laughs> Um, what I did have to do, though, here's a fact. I had to turn my Alexa off because it kept coming on throughout the film. I'm like, hang on a minute. Like, <laughs> They're talking to each other. Yeah, I was just like, uh, this is a little bit weird. It's Unless it's like every Alexa, this is like their favourite film. They get <laughs> they, they get shown it in the factory. Is it, is Ask it Ale- Alexa what, what the favourite film is. Uh, it's actually computer, my Alexa. So I think that's why uh, it was like, oh, computer on screen. And stuff like that. I'll ask you right now. Uh, computer, what do you think about the film Ex Magna? She doesn't have an opinion, but that's definitely a lie. <laughs> um, because she, she Maybe Alexa and Ava don't get on. Maybe they went to college together. Yeah, I mean, she was she was chatting all the time um, when I was watching this, so, hey, the clip... She's just jealous? Yeah, <laughs> she just got jealous of was watching uh, another robot. Did you not spend time with Alexa? Yeah, uh, <laughs> So can he good then? Yeah, can he good? Aye. I'll definitely watch it again, like, and I think, I think you'll you'll just keep seeing more, more of those little little like mannerisms and the faces and everything like that. So, so uh, what sexy robot film are we watching next? <laughs> I'll um I'll find next next time it's fine. I'll find I'll find another good one. Right. So where where can people reach us then if they want to get in contact? Oh yeah, it's back to me, isn't it? Um, so thanks for watching the film podcast. If you do want to reach us, listening, uh, listening sorry, 
you can email us at thefilmlook at gmail.com uh, you can find us on Twitter Instagram all at thefilmlook uh, we've got all of those names and we also have a YouTube channel called guess what The Film Look, where we drop filmmaking knowledge bombs based on short films we make and we should have a film coming out soon depending on when this goes out so watch out for that um, until next time goodbye bye 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 <laughs>